This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. They're not necessarily good government or good legislating, but they happen. That's sort of the way the process rolls, I guess. The end of the 2019 Iowa legislative session was a bit contentious. It was incredibly disappointing to see some of the just completely partisan attacks. Democrats say Republicans overreached. Republicans see it differently. These are Emmy-winning performances in terms of the feigned surprise. The public policy implications of the end of the legislative session. Our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. The first session of the 88th Iowa General Assembly came to a close on Saturday, April 27th, roughly one week ahead of schedule. Most of the session was devoid of significant partisan wrangling. The K-12 education funding bill was agreed to early on. The final budget numbers came together rather quickly. And while those in the minority party were not happy with specific bills being passed, things were rolling along fairly smoothly. Then in the final 10 days, amendments were introduced primarily as attachments to spending bills that some on the left side of the spectrum believe went too far concerning matters such as public funding for gender reassignment surgery, funding for Planned Parenthood, and limiting the power of the state attorney general to join national lawsuits against the federal government. As you might imagine, where you stand on all this depends on where you sit. Troy Price is chair of the Iowa Democratic Party. Obviously, it was incredibly disappointing to see, um, to see how it ended this year, to see some of the uh, just completely partisan attacks that the Republicans did that were, in, that were only designed to harm people or to uh, exact some vengeance, uh, and certainly not designed to help the people of Iowa. You know, when you look at what happened with the uh, attorney general's office, when you look at cutting the funding for uh, sexual education, when you look at uh, changing the way we select our Supreme Court justices, all of this was designed to enhance the power of the uh, Republicans in the state, and none of it was designed to actually help the people of this state. And so it's just incredibly frustrating. And, you know, it just, I think, further underscores, and I think Iowans saw why we need new leadership in the legislature uh, and why we're going to be taking back the legislature in 2020. Talk in detail, if you would, about those things that happened in the last week. I have heard from those who may not share the same political view that you have mm -hmm. that this is the sort of thing that happens with appropriations bills and there's nothing new about that and that some of these issues had been discussed and so it should not have been a surprise what's your response to that when was the last time that a budget bill was used to take away the power of a statewide elected official who most recently just won re-election with over 75 percent of the vote when was the last time a budget bill was used to take away or to pass what happened here in this last week? I don't know if it was a budget bill, but the, to uh, change the way we select our Supreme Court justices. Uh, this is not what Iowa sent uh, people to Des Moines to do. What Iowa sent them to do was to go out there and fight to make sure that we have the money we need for our schools, to make sure that we have the money we need uh, and the resources we need to grow our uh, communities, both uh, large and small to make sure that we fix this Medicaid mess that continues to affect hundreds of thousands of people all across the state. That's what people elected folks to do, and uh, the Republicans failed. I don't recall any conversation about limiting 
funding for gender reassignment surgery until this last week of the session. The mm-hmm. folks on the right say, well, this was no surprise because after that Supreme Court ruling, you know, everybody knew this is what we as a party would do based upon our true. statements on the matter. Well, tell me, tell me your viewpoint then. Well, I mean, that's just it. If this was something that they uh, were wanted to have a conversation about, uh, this and all, a lot of the stuff that we saw that came through last week, if this was something they really wanted to have a conversation about, then we should have had the conversation. We should have had, uh, this should have been up for debate for uh, a while. They should have been um, willing to put, uh, willing to go out there, go to these forums in their small towns, willing to have, con- uh, and hear from people, uh, their constituents, willing to hear from people affected by this decision. Uh, that is, that's the way the legislative process is supposed to work. But I think the Republicans knew that they were doing something that was going to be uh, harmful um, to people, that was going to not be uh, popular. Uh, and so that's why a lot of this stuff didn't move until the very end, because they didn't want they didn't want that conversation. They didn't want that debate. What they wanted was just to put past this stuff in the final hours when people are, you know, in some cases very late at night, um, pass this stuff in the final hours and hope that no one notices. And that's really why it's so frustrating uh, what happened this session, because, uh, you know, that's not the way this process is supposed to work. And quite frankly, it's not the way this process traditionally works. Um, but, uh, you know, but the Republicans have uh, shown that this is how they want to govern. So, you know, we're already having conversations here about how we're going to prepare for the next session, because uh, I think we can expect to see more uh, controversial stuff, uh, more unpopular stuff be shoved through in the final minutes of the 2020 session. Troy Price, chair of the Iowa Democratic Party. His counterpart as chair of the Republican Party of Iowa is Jeff Kaufman, himself a former state legislator. He takes a quite different view. Every year that I was in the legislature and every year since, so the last 15, 20 years, there have been issues that have emerged that that come from appropriations bills. And usually, to be real honest, the human uh, the human resources bill uh, that 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 actually funds like Department of uh, of uh, or the DHS and and funds health concerns. Those particular budgets almost always have something controversial. Uh, so there's nothing new at all about having a controversial vote on a budget bill in the last couple of weeks. The, the Democrats, once again, you know, I think they can share uh, perhaps the Oscar award with the Bar Association of this feigned, I can't believe that it's been, uh, that, that uh, this is occurring. But people have been talking about uh, the, the gender reassignment surgeries since the Supreme Court made its ruling. I mean, that, that it made all the papers. It was a constant topic of conversation, and every single solitary Democrat in the House and the Senate knew that that issue was going to come as soon as the Supreme Court made its ruling. And, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm, it's not that there isn't two sides to that issue. Um, you know, should the, should the taxpayers, you know, pay $54 million, which is what the guesstimate was for gender reassignment surgery for transgender Iowans? Uh, the Democrats said yes. The Republicans said no. I, I mean, it's a it's a legitimate it's a legitimate debate. I don't think anybody is surprised about the sides that were drawn on that. But certainly, after that Supreme Court decision came out, there was absolutely no surprise that it was emerging. Planned Parenthood has been at the core of controversy of every single appropriations uh, budget or every single appropriations process. 
uh, in the last two decades. And the, the Planned Parenthood, once again, uh, Planned Parenthood pumps a lot of money, millions of dollars into the Democratic caucus. Of course they're going to stand up. Uh, and then in the Republican caucus, they believe that there are, there are other entities besides abortion providers that can actually provide for good sex education in the schools. And so, you know, both of those issues uh, were predictable. Both of those issues are, are, uh, are, are encompass sides that typically take on a Republican-Democratic uh, flavor. But I think the Republican caucus is very comfortable saying that taxpayers should not fund gender reassignment. Um, and there, there, there's, there's no attack on transgender civil rights. There's no attack on the, on the equal protection of all Iowans. There, there was, I didn't, I've yet to hear one single Republican uh, say something that makes that particular issue personal. Uh, this is an issue about who funds these particular services, and this is an issue that falls along partisan lines. So if there are individuals who say it seems like the Republicans snuck this in so it uh, could just kind of get caught up in the end of session, your response is, in essence, twofold. One, this is what the other side has done when they've had the opportunity, and two, elections have consequences, and this is one of them. That and also both of these issues, especially the gender reassignment issue, was talked about. And so, and, and, and if you look at the process, and, and when these issues are tied into appropriations, these appropriations budgets uh, oftentimes pass on the very, very last day of session, especially the more controversial ones. Um, so the, you, you, I, there's, there's, there's nothing really surprising about this. And it was done in the, uh, in, uh, in the daylight, so to speak, and I don't think anybody, there is not a single solitary Democrat that didn't know for the last month that these two issues were coming. There, once again, these are, these are Emmy-winning performances in terms of the feigned surprise. Jeff Kaufman is chair of the Republican Party of Iowa. I spoke to each state party chair on May 2nd five days after the 2019 legislative session adjourned. James Lynch covers politics and government for the Gazette newspaper based in Cedar Rapids. He spends the first four months of each year in Des Moines, covering the state legislature. It appears the last 10 days, 14 days of any legislative session, they often have a few surprises tucked in. Were the actions of the Republicans at the end of this session with regard to things like the funding for gender reassignment surgery, the funding for Planned Parenthood. Was that anything, based on your experience, different from other sessions with whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats in charge? Not really, Jeff. Uh, I mean, almost every session you come down to the end and there are some issues that have been uh, are not resolved. This year it really didn't look very optimistic for judicial nominating uh, changes um, for the, whether you want to call it the grid equity fee or the solar tax bill. Um, and then, I mean, the, the gender reassignment uh, surgery amendment sort of just appeared at the end of the session. It wasn't something that had been discussed or debated throughout the session, but it just appeared at the end. And, and those sorts of things happen. Um, they're not necessarily... It may not be good government or good legislating, but they happen. Um, that's sort of the way the process rolls, I guess. 
There are some on the right who say there should have been no surprise about, in particular, the gender reassignment surgery issue, because once the Iowa Supreme Court issued a ruling on the topic, that then put it back into the hands of the legislature. I trust the folks on the left are claiming a little more ignorance of the you-should-have-known argument. Yeah, and, and I, again, I think it goes back to the fact that this wasn't something that was discussed throughout the session, that there, wasn't, there hadn't been a bill um, you know, that really kind of went through all the steps of subcommittee, committee, that sort of thing. Um, uh, so people were aware of it, and it had been debated. Uh, it sort of just came up at the end, and I, a lot of people were surprised um, that they were going to slip it into a budget bill. Um, you know, there's always this argument about we don't put policy and budget bills, but uh, both parties do when it suits their purposes. How much of the protesting done by Democrats about some of these what have become high-profile items tacked on to revenue bills, because obviously everything has to do with revenue. You can make an argument that it's going to attach to a revenue bill, even though it may be a, a thin connection. How much of the protests by Democrats are nothing more than, and I hate to use the phrase sour grapes, but essentially we're not in power, we can count noses, we wish they wouldn't do these things, and we want our base to hear about it before 2020. Yeah, I think that's an important part of it. Uh, um, you know, when you're in the minority, you have limited opportunities, but, you know, you, you know the old saying that the, the majority controls the calendar, the minority controls the clock, so you can debate these things, um, you know, for a long period of time when it gets to the floor. And yes, I mean, they know what the outcome is going to be, but they want to make their points. They want uh, Iowans to be aware of why this is not uh, good for Iowa. Um, and, you know, that's that's your opportunity to, to make those points. And, and some of it, you know, is what we'll hear on the campaign trail uh, in 2020. And so it's just a sort of getting the word out there. James Lynch of the Gazette. When we come back, insight into the policy and procedure of the end of the 2019 session from a political scientist who studies the Iowa General Assembly and its work. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Christopher Larimer is a political science professor at the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls. 
who has studied the work of the Iowa General Assembly over time. In the past, when I've thought about sessions, it's been somewhat easy to define them by a particular piece of legislation that's significant or noteworthy, you know, if it was the gas tax session or the the medical marijuana session from several years ago. As I look at this session, it it seems to be more of a reminder of a couple of lessons in, in government control. One, you know, majority control matters, right? If you have the majority, you can do what you want. And so the old saying of elections have consequences, that certainly applies to this session because the majority did push through an agenda at the end, particularly, that was a conservative agenda that Democrats were unable to stop. I think the other lesson in government control is just a reminder that having unified control does not mean you get everything you want, right? So for Governor Reynolds, going back to her condition of the state address, she talked about the restoration of felons' voting rights. Did not happen, right? There was talk uh, about— And because of her own party. Right, because of her own party, right? Yeah, Republicans controlled the state house, and she could not get that through. Same thing with vict- uh, uh, Bill for Victims' Rights. Same thing for—she uh, wanted to uh, expand um, access to contraceptives, right? It did not get those through. And so just because you have unified control does not mean, mean you get everything you want. And if you look at kind of some of the research on governors, you will hear them talking about having— Divided control can actually be a little bit better um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, it, it, it sort of calms down the legislative process. And two, you know, the more extreme elements within your own party cannot put things on your desk that then you're forced to sign, right? So it's a, sort of a regulator for for the governor. And so, you know, this time around, she wasn't able to get everything she wanted, but it, there may have also been some regulation going on w- within her own party. Another thing to think about with this session is uh, – Iowa seems to be, you know, following the trend of other states on a couple of issue areas. One is the sports betting bill um, that now Governor Reynolds has a decision about whether or not to sign. We're seeing other states moving in that direction following the Supreme Court ruling. There's also, you know, we've seen more and more the last couple of sessions where Iowa is moving in terms of expanding access to marijuana, whether it's through growing hemp, uh, the, the the regulations around access to medical marijuana. Iowa's slowly moving toward more access, which we're seeing other states do. And so I think, you know, at a very general level, those are the the lessons I'm taking from the session. But, you know, again, thinking about the session, it's not defined by one bill, but that's not to say that Republicans did not push a conservative agenda because they very much did, particularly at the end of the session. There were bills that were very much in line with a conservative agenda and continuing kind of the conservative agenda that was started under Branstead that sort of expanded rapidly that last year he was in office while uh, Governor Reynolds was lieutenant governor, now uh, on her own watch. She, this is very much putting a, her conservative stamp on on the session. And it's a different type to me mm-hmm. of conservative stamp because, to your point, the final year of the Branstead administration was the first time in two decades yeah. that the Republicans had the majority in the House and the Senate and the governor's chair. And so that was, to some degree, making up for lost time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Governor Reynolds took over, she was a caretaker because she had not been elected to a term in her own right. And mm-hmm. you handle the office, as we've discussed here, very differently if you are in the chair as opposed to the voters have officially given you the chair. Yeah. But with those things that she mentioned in her condition of the state, the things that actually did not make it through, that's a very different type of conservatism where some of those policy ideas drew great acclaim from the left, but again, as we've noted, it was folks on the right who put the brakes on it. Yeah, they put the brakes on it, and and what did end up getting through were some things that go back to some of the social issues, whether it's dealing with abortion, some of the uh, you know the transgender assignment uh, restrictions as far as being able to access Medicaid funding. 
um, you know, issues with with Planned Parenthood not being able to, you know, be eligible for federal grants if they offer same sex or uh, sex education. And some of those things at the end were very much about power grabs, right? So you're talking about restricting uh, the right of the attorney general to join lawsuits, national lawsuits. You're talking about um, you know, changing the judicial nominating process, right, to give more power to the governor. You're talking about even reaching down into local control with with property taxes and, and, and how local governments deal with property taxes and how that process works for raising property taxes. So uh, those three things are very much about, you know, uh, kind of a, a power grab from up above. With regard to some of those, and I'll call them procedural items at the mm-hmm. end, and I only say that because it was the use of a certain procedure that allowed them to be passed, tying the limitation of the attorney general's powers to a finance bill or a, a spending bill. Uh, the same with regard to the Planned Parenthood, the use of uh, state dollars for transgender reassignment. Mm-hmm. It is flippant to say, well, both sides do it when they're in control. But is it really, what happened in 2019, is it really that unique for the party who has the votes, that everyone agrees upon, has the votes, mm-hmm. using the procedures to get things done? And if it means you attach it to a revenue bill so that you don't have to have a protracted debate during a session, is it really that shocking that this is how it plays out? Yeah, you know, I think if you talk to state legislators, and it's my understanding from talking to both Democratic and Republican legislators, is that this is not uncommon. This this happens. And I think if you look at any legislative body, whether it's state legislatures, whether it's city councils, whether it's the U.S. Congress, the majority party is going to use, as you said, those procedural rules to their advantage. And that makes sense. And that's back to our original point about elections have consequences, right? I mean, if you're in majority control, you use those procedures to your advantage to try to push through an agenda. So I, I don't think that what happened here at the end is is unusual. It may seem unusual a bit in terms of the substance of those bills, but the, to use those procedures to their advantage is not at all unusual. Christopher Larimer, University of Northern Iowa political science professor. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.